0: Well, let's one more time open the Word of God to the Epistle of James. If you'll find chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, This morning, we're approaching the end of the first chapter written by the brother of our Lord, this little epistle. And as he brings his chapter to a conclusion, James speaks with his customary abruptness. There's one thing for certain about James Uh, James never mints his words. James, the brother of our Lord, speaks exactly what's on his heart. And he does so with stunning clarity and even a measure of sharpness or asperity. You might even call him rude sometimes because he's just so point blank. And once again, we find an exclamation point here. James is talking about being doers of the word and not merely hearers. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 22. And what James does so remarkably well in his epistle is he applies the commands that he gives with simplicity and great practicality. Now, there's a topic pulsating in the heart of the brother of our Lord, James. And you see that topic identified in these verses. You see the word religion and the word religious. That's the topic beating in his heart. Religion or being religious and what makes this such a strategic word from god is that this is the one and only place in the entire new testament where the word religious is found it is right here and so we want to pay particular attention to what james says about being religious because he's going to speak with great clarity And the overall point that James continues to to make for the people of God is that the life of a believer in Jesus Christ is an active life of obedience. And that is exactly what James is going to say as we come to chapter 1, and let's hear verse 26 and 27. James says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is the Word of God. Blessed be His holy name. All religions are basically the same, right? How many times have you heard that? Or maybe you heard something like this. All religious and philosophical roads lead to the same deity, to the same God, right? There's a popular illustration of this alleged truth floating around out in public. In fact, it just surfaced again this week, even after I had written my sermon. There's a story that goes something like this, an illustration. There are a number of blind men, and they encounter something they've never encountered before, an elephant. And only using their sense of touch, they begin to describe what they've never encountered before. One of the blind men touches the trunk, and he assumes that what's before him is a, is a large snake. Another one grabs the elephant's legs, and he assumes that he's encountered a massive tree. The third blind man touches the elephant's tail and assumes he has a rope. A fourth blind man feels the side of this massive beast, and he assumes he's up against a wall. Each man probing and describing the same thing, an elephant. And yet each description radically different. Each description contains truth, but not the whole truth. Every experience is valid, but... None is complete. And apparently, apparently, this illustration proves the point that all religions are valid. They all lead to the same deity. So it doesn't matter what road you're on, so it's claimed. Maybe most people feel that way. And my guess is most people in the days of James felt that way. The world of the first century... That's when this letter was written, mid-first century, maybe as early as 49 A.D., right at the midpoint of the first century, some 30 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That world was a world full of deities. In the Roman Empire, there were many, many gods and many religions and many philosophies and many worldviews. The main religion of first century Roman life was the state religion, the worship of the emperor. The emperor was considered to be divine. So that was the official state religion, and it was the top dog as far as religions go. But then you had the mystery cults. And this ism called Gnosticism was gaining traction and getting popular. And then you had all the the deities of the Greek and then the Roman pantheons. And then there was Judaism, from which Christianity had just emerged. So as long as you didn't make any claim that you had the absolute truth, you could get along with the emperor and the state religion. But drastic measures would be taken against anyone who threatened the supremacy of the emperor or who alleged that there was another king, another sovereign to deal with. Now you can imagine that for Christians, these early Christians in the first century, they found themselves in the center of the bullseye. In the book of Acts we get a glimpse of what life in the Roman Empire was like in the first century. Luke tells us about the time that the Apostle Paul visited Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And he goes up to Mars Hill and he he wants to preach the gospel to the Athenian philosophers and Luke tells us exactly what happened. And Listen to this description of the religious milieu of the first century. Luke says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That's a different word than James uses. But you are very devout in your religious practices, I perceive that in every way you are religious, Paul says, for as I passed along I observed all of the objects of your worship and I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god gods and goddesses everywhere and then the emperor claiming to be divine, blind men groping an elephant So it is said. And then in that world, there emerged a band of radicals called those on the way. Christians. And what was their message? Well, you could put it on a bumper sticker. If you had a chariot and you had a bumper sticker, you could put this on your bumper sticker. It would say, Jesus is Lord. And you can imagine what happened when they began to sound that note that Jesus is Lord. That put them in the crosshairs of both the Romans and the Jews. And from both camps, they experienced great resistance and persecution. Persecution squeezing them out of their homes, from their businesses, from their associations, from their families even. And so it was costing them something to to wear the label Christian, to, to claim that Jesus is Lord. It would have been easier to be quiet. You know, just get along. It would have been easier to just say, we're just a blind man groping an elephant like the Gnostics are and like the Jews are and like the mystery cultists are. We're just blind men groping the same thing. But that wasn't their claim. And they stood tall, and they stood fast on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the King and the Lord. James is very concerned that the people to whom he writes remember that. And he begins to talk about two kinds of religion And by the end of this morning, you are going to be convinced from the Word of God that there are only two kinds of religion in the world. Only two. You can see the categories here. There is one kind of religion, according to verse 26, which is worthless. We'll explore that in a moment. And then there's this other kind in verse 27 that... It's a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Only two kinds of religion. And so here we have a really, really important word in the Word of God. A contrast between two and only two kinds of religion. Worthless. And pure and undefiled. Now, what is amazing as we continue to to walk through this, and you, you see this in all of the New Testament, despite the opposition and despite all of the discouragement that came their way, Christians kept preaching, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can imagine a ballistic missile being launched into the heart of all Rome Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the concern in the heart of the brother of Jesus is that Christians stay committed to that faith. And so for that reason, he starts talking about being religious and about religion. So let's walk with James and see where he takes us. The first kind of religion that James identifies is worthless religion. This word worthless is pretty dramatic. It means empty, that that which is void of all meaning. It's it's merely external. It's it's frothy. You, You go to the coffee shop. Please forgive me, all you baristas. You go to the coffee shop and you order a latte. A latte don't have a latte in it. And I don't even speak Latin or French or Italian or whatever language that is. There's a lot of froth and not so much coffee. That's the idea. The first category of religion is the frothy kind that that, that has no substance. It's not good for anything. It may be characterized by fervent devotion and rules and discipline and all kinds of actions and acts of mercy and kindness. kindness, But it is is useless. It's worthless. And James means by this, there's this first broad category of worthless religion that cannot save your soul. It doesn't contain the truth. It may be impressive. There may be a beauty to it. There may be a breathtaking pageantry associated with it. But it's helpless. It is helpless to effect reconciliation between sinners and God. And they will fall. And they will fail. And everyone who embraces worthless religion will come under the judgment of God. Let's think one more time about the visit by Paul to Mars Hill. Listen to what else Paul said there in that religiously plural climate. What did Paul say? Not only have I noted this altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you this, Paul says. The God that you don't know, that God, Commands, Paul says, all people everywhere to repent. He has fixed the day. That is the God that is the God you don't know. The God you don't know his name. That God has commanded people everywhere across the planet, across the cultures, across the divide, as it were. He has commanded everyone to repent. And he's fixed the day, Paul says, in which he will judge you. He will judge the world in righteousness by this man, Jesus Christ. And he proved the veracity of this claim by raising his son from the dead. Now, that's the message Paul gives in this religiously plural climate. All practitioners of this worthless brand of religion will suffer the same fate. They will come under the judgment of God. Those worthless religions cannot stand the scrutiny and the judgment of God. It's just as simple as that. Think about our own city. It's not at all unlike ancient Rome or the ancient Roman Empire. In our beloved city, the city we we love and delight in, you may find devotees to virtually all the world's religions here. There are those communities thriving: Buddhists, a Hindu community. the Islamic community, Judaism, Sikhism, Taoism, Neo-paganism, agnosticism, atheism and New Age philosophy. And here the Lord has placed us in the midst of all those worthless religions to preach the gospel and to declare that Jesus is Lord. Our hearts should be broken. Our hearts should be full of compassion when we pass the mosque, when we pass the temple, when we pass the church of the Unitarian Universalists and Christian science and all the cults and isms our hearts should be broken, worthless religion leading to hell will not stand the judgment of God and that compassion And that resolve to preach the truth should send us into the world with smiles on our faces, pointing to Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't don't preach the gospel with balled up fists. We are not angry at them for being lost. But we must be clear that, that there is a king, Jesus, and he will save you from your worthless religion and from the judgment of God. Worthless religions but that isn't the only kind of religion that's worthless to God the unbiblical non-christian religion you know what james is is driving at here and this is going to get under your skin a little bit you know what james is saying He's not only saying that the other religions besides Christianity are all worthless. He is actually saying here that there are some versions of Christianity that are thoroughly worthless. In this passage, James will propose some tests to see if our Christianity is worthless. We'll look at that in just a moment. But we're not off the hook, even as Christians. Well, let's get back to what we're talking about. Not only is there one category, worthless religion, but there's a second category of religion, and this is in verse 27. It is the pure and undefiled religion before God uh, the Father. So this is the one that's good. This is the one that God the Father delights in. This is the one, the religion, that he has authorized, the, the only true one. It's the one not contaminated it has no impurities. It, it is true. It is, it is thoroughly true. If I could just borrow the line from Francis Schaeffer, it is, it is true truth. It is the worship of the one true and living God who has revealed himself in three eternal, co-equal, consubstantial persons. Three persons, one essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is a religion that has been, and watch this, revealed to men. It does not come from the mind of men. It is a revealed religion. It's come from above to earth. The Christian religion, it is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. As James would say in chapter 2, verse 1, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's the true one. So our claim, as unPC as it possibly could be, is this. That when it comes to the world of religion and religious experience, you have two options. There is biblical Christianity and then everything else. There is that which is good and pure and true and that which God has ordained and authorized and sent to us. And then there is that which is is worthless. Look at the danger, though, that James begins to surface. You'll see, once again, for the third time, James talking about being deceived. Uh, You see that, don't you, in verse 26? That's the third time James has mentioned being deceived in the first chapter. I think he's probably worried about that. And here's where he gets under our skin. James is more than suggesting. He is saying that it is even possible for a Christian, a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, to assume or to think he is religious when he or she is actually only deceived. They're not religious at all, at least in the sense that's pleasing to the Lord. And what we gather from this is that it is perfectly clear that there are expressions of Christianity that fall outside the boundaries of that which is pure and undefiled religion before God just because it's called Christian. Just because someone reads their Bible or claims they've accepted Jesus or they attend worship or they pray or they fast or sing praises or serve that that isn't the guarantee. Because there are versions of Christianity that you and I could embrace, and maybe we do embrace, that are not religious at all as far as God is concerned. They are not well-pleasing to him. And so James is concerned for you. He's concerned for me. He's concerned for every Christian. Let's practice the true faith. Well, this is not a, a unique problem at all. I mean, mean, James isn't bringing up a new thing here. It's always been true that God's people sometimes get it wrong. God's people, from the Old Testament calling of Israel onward, have sometimes offered to God defective worship. They've practiced defective religion. They've served the right God, but the wrong way. The classic example of this is Exodus 32. It wasn't too long ago that we were there on Sunday mornings with Moses and Aaron at the foot of Mount Sinai. You know how the story goes. Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord. And he stayed up there a very long time. And the people below, under the guidance of Aaron, the people below were getting very impatient with Moses. He was up there. They wanted Moses to come back. They wanted something to happen. They were tired of just waiting And thinking that Moses was not going to come back anytime soon, they decided that they had had enough worshiping the God they can't see, and they wanted to worship someone they could see. And so they created not an idol, but a representation of Yahweh that they could see and touch. It wasn't an idol like you would think some idol deity. It was a representation of the invisible God. They created a golden calf. Now, how did that turn out for them? Trying to worship the right God, but the wrong way. And they created a religion that was worthless. Worthless. This theme is also traced out very. Pointedly by Israel's prophets. Again, one example, Isaiah. The first chapter of Isaiah, he, he doesn't waste any time getting to the heart of the matter. What is the sin of the southern kingdom of Judah? What's their prime sin? It is worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Listen to these words, Isaiah 1. God speaking through the prophet. Bring me no more vain offerings incense is an abomination to me new moon and sabbath and the calling of convocations i cannot endure this iniquity any more your new moons your appointed feast my soul hates they are a burden to me Yahweh says, I'm tired of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, listen to this. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many, many prayers, I will not listen to you. Trying to worship the right God the wrong way. Worthless religion. It's no surprise that our Lord Jesus also takes up this theme, doesn't he? Let your minds travel back a bit in time to to Matthew 6, and, and listen to these familiar words, and you'll hear them now in the proper framework, the proper context. What was Jesus talking about in Matthew 6 when he said this? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them, For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he said, When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. Because the hypocrites do that down in the synagogues. And they do it in the streets to be praised by other people. No, no. You you give in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And then Jesus said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues. They love to stand on the street corners to be seen by other people, but they have their reward right there. Now, you you go into your closet and you pray when no one's watching but your Father. And when you fast, Jesus said, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others and they have their reward right there. But when you fast, wash your face and change your clothes and put on a smile. Because Jesus believed in two kinds of religion. Worthless. Even Judaism. Practiced by the scribes and Pharisees, worthless. And religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The wide path, in another context Jesus said, the wide path leading to destruction, but the narrow way leading to life. We need to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves That our religion, our expression of Christianity is pure and undefiled before God the Father. What James is driving at and what the Lord wants us to have is, is, is a faith that is not a dead formality, but a living faith. A faith that, as one man writes, is not remotely removed from everyday life, but relevantly woven into the fabric of everyday life. We need a Christian faith that believes the right person and believes the right thing and and practices the truth. We need a faith that is true to the word of God, true to the claim that Jesus is Lord, but a claim that absolutely makes a difference in our lives. Not a dead faith, but one that is alive and vibrant and bears the blessed fruit of righteousness. Righteousness. So even Christianity can be worthless if we're not careful. Well, how do you know the difference? That brings us to the test that James would have us consider this morning, these three tests. Now, I know you're looking at the clock and you're thinking, oh, man, three more points. No, no three more weeks. (laughs) How's that for you? Now, we're not going to stay here. We're we're still going to beat the Methodist at the restaurant, I promise you. But James gives three tests. Now, they're not exhaustive. These are not the only three, but these are the three that concern James. Three tests. Here's how you know whether you're deceived or not. It's interesting, and we're going to see this beginning next Lord's Day, that every one of these three tests is worked out later in this very epistle. So this is not the only thing he's going to say about these tests. He's going to use the rest of the letter to tell you what he means by these tests and to help you apply them and to see whether or not you are deceived about your Christianity. You can see in verse 26, the first test is the test of a bridled tongue. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, then that person's religion is worthless. Test one is what you do with your mouth. What do you say? How do you say it? The second test is the test of a compassionate heart. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, that is, it isn't worthless if you do this, if you control your tongue, and secondly, to, note the word, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Why visit and not take up an offering? Why orphans and widows? Well, in two weeks we'll find out. What James is saying is not only is true Christianity known by the lordship of Christ over the tongue, those who know Christ have compassion. They are compassionate people. They are like God. So we'll work with that test and see how we do. If we survive the first two, there's a third test. Verse 27, and... Note the little word, and, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Wow. We will plunge into this epistle, into all of the Word of God, to see what that means, to keep ourselves as believers under the Lordship of Christ unstained, by this old, polluted, lost, dead world. True Christianity, in summary, is this it first repents and believes and confesses that Jesus is Lord. And then, as that faith in Christ begins to grow, it shows itself to be at work in our hearts. And James will say in three glorious ways. Our faith, the fact that we are possessed by the Spirit, the fact that the Spirit is bearing fruit in us, will show itself by a bridal tongue, a compassionate heart, and by purity and resistance to the world. That's the real Religion. That's the only religion that matters. So, what kind of religion do you have? Everyone's got one. Do you have a worthless religion or one that is pure and undefiled? What kind of Christianity have you embraced? The kind revealed in the Word of God or the kind that seeks to compromise? The broad way, the easy way. Has your faith in Christ made any difference in your life? Is the fruit of righteousness being produced in you? Has the core claim of the Christian faith that Jesus is Lord compelled you to live any differently? Oh, as we read these words in the next several weeks, may God grant us grace. May God grant us mercy to believe the one true and living faith and to pass the test for His glory. May God give us a real faith, a true religion. Would you pray with me?